0: Here's a good rule of thumb for referrals. For every year you've been in business, 10% of your booked gigs should come from past and current clients. Each season should build on top of the next. So eventually, most of your couples will come on recommendation from those they trust the most, those who came before them. If you're not seeing enough referrals from clients, tune into this episode of Own Your Business, where I share why client referrals always trump vendor referrals, the difference between a sales funnel and a referral flywheel, and five specific sets of tactics that you can put into practice today to get more inquiries from your most qualified buyers. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales pricing and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. Over the past 15 years, I've had two big priorities in life. Maybe this sounds familiar. Family and work. Now, when I first started leading teams at the resort that I worked at up in Washington on San Juan Island, this is back in 2003. I was just a wee pup, 25 years old, but I was seasonal at first and I wasn't there on salary. I was hourly. Finally, after a couple of seasons, I was promoted to restaurant manager from bar supervisor and I moved into the fine dining room and I was given a salary. I was full-time, year-round, salaried manager. And I thought it was a big step up in my career to earn a salary rather than being paid an hourly wage. I finally felt like I make it, but little did I know it was really just a way to get me to work more for free. Kidding, but not really. I, I was the best kind of employee. I was really good at what I did. I liked the work that I was doing, and so I was into it. I was passionate. I was also really appreciated by my team members, those that I worked with on a peer level, and also the people who reported to me directly. But really importantly, I worked a lot of hours. I mean, a lot of hours. When I started as lodging director, a couple of years after I got that promotion to a salaried restaurant manager, I was working even more. Why? We had so much going on. We had a new hotel. We had new houses that were being built in the master plan community that was part of the resort. And they were all in the rental pool. Many of them were. And I was out there trying to figure out how to make it all work. We also had a brand new housekeeping facility that was in a remote location from the hotel, and I had to figure out a way to make that work too. Plus, in addition to all of the lodging director work that I was doing, I was still leading the event sales team in addition to those operational duties. In fact, I kid you not, when I left that position eight years after I started it in 2015, the GM replaced me with three full-time people. No joke. When I first started doing the lodging director work, I would go in early... I mean, like really early. I would wake up some mornings at like four or five o'clock in the morning. And I was so excited because I had been dreaming all night about the things that I was going to do at work the next day that I would jump out of bed, probably like actually levitate between the bed and the ground. There was actually a a bit of a, a jump that was involved. I was that excited. And I'd run in. I'd get there in the dark and I'd walk in. It was just me and like the resort security guard who would stop by, Scott, and and I would just start working. And I would go for hours and hours and hours. I would stay until six, seven, eight o'clock at night. I loved going to work. I did this for six days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day for years. And then I had a kiddo. And as anybody who's gone from no kids to one kid knows, That feeling that a parent has when they see their baby for the first time, and you realize your whole world is gonna change. I had that. I saw Emily, and I knew that everything was about her rather than about whatever else it had been before. So I reduced some of the hours at work, but she was still a baby, and I was able to put in a ton of work when I needed to. I had a lot to do. This was the Great Recession, things were not easy. And so Emily was young. I had the mornings, I'd go in early, and I'd spend the entire day at work, and then I'd come back home because my first wife, Allie, she worked evenings, which meant that I had to take care of Emily, the nighttime routine, feeding her, changing her, putting her down to story, dealing with her getting up and and crying or, or, or climbing out of her toddler bed. And then, of course, when she was finally out, I was there doing the dishes and cleaning up and tidying up so that the house is back to normal, and then we would go back to the next day. These are long days, so anybody who's a parent knows exactly what this is like. Now, over the years, it's been a lot of the same. It has been work, and it has been family. I am a provider, and I am a protector. I am very, very loyal to my family, and that starts with Katie and the kids, and then goes out to my own parents, to my siblings, and it now includes, and I really do feel this way, all of our company's clients. And when the pandemic hit a couple of years ago, I had almost three dozen one-to-one clients who needed me to help navigate the early stages of the pandemic and get them through that first summer. And during the pandemic, we added on literally hundreds of more clients through coaching and our booming copywriting division, not to mention all the free workshops that I did and that two-month bender on Clubhouse in early 2021. Many of you remember that? Yeah, that was a lot. It's hard to manage your own business, let alone scores of others. And that's what I felt like I needed to do. I truly feel obligated to help those people with their businesses to help you. Not so much because we're under contract, but because I just feel this common humanity to help others who are in need because I can, because I know how to do it. Now, I get it. I'm not saving lives here. I'm just helping business owners out, but it feels like important work. I was doing my meditation this morning. I do the Calm app. I don't know if anybody else does it, but it's, it's probably the best 50 bucks a year that I spend. And on the app this morning with my daily meditation, uh, Tamara Levitt, she talks about this starfish story. And I'm going to bumble it as much as anybody would, but here's the gist of it. There was a big storm. And a guy was walking along the coast the next day and he sees thousands upon thousands upon thousands of starfish that are out on the beach. They've washed up in the storm and they can't get back into the water. And so he's walking along and he's throwing these starfish back into the ocean. And he picks one up and throws it in, walks a little bit, picks one up and throws it in. There's another woman who's out at the beach that day and she walks up to the man and she says, sir, what are you doing? And he says, I'm throwing the starfish back into the ocean so they can survive. And she looks around and there's miles and miles and miles with thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of starfish that are washed up on the beach. And she says, but sir, you're never going to get to all of them. And he picks one up, he throws it into the water and he looks at her and he says, but I helped that one. And that's how I feel about helping business owners. Can't help them all, but I'm going to do every damn thing I can. So it's easy to see how much of my time gets sucked in by work. And of course, family is still this massive priority. A few years ago, I had this epiphany, this breakthrough. It wasn't profit with money that I was looking for with our business. It was profit with time. That's what I wanted. And so I set up all of my workload based on how can I spend more time with my family? How can I spend more time with my kids, more time with Katie, more time visiting my siblings and my nephews? This is what I want to do. And that hasn't left a lot of time for me as a business owner. And I know that that's really important. So last year, when I felt like things calmed down a little bit with the pandemic, and we were through the, the clubhouse bender, I decided that I was going to start taking care of me a little bit. And this is something that I recommend and why I'm telling this story, because I know that many of you are like that. And you need to find something outside of work to spend your time on, to focus on. And it's gonna re-energize your life, re-energize your business, and give it back to your clients, just like it has for me. Over the past year, I focused on two things. I focused on working out, we have a little dumbbell set and a bench inside of our garage, and also golfing. Now, I was a big golfer when I was in high school. I played four or five days a week. I played so much that my golf swing was messing around with my baseball swing. And when I was trying to get recruited to play college baseball, my baseball coach in high school said, Sam, you got to you got to stop playing golf because it's messing with your your baseball swing. So I hadn't really golfed that much here and there, mostly just, you know, when I got invited or, or whatever, when I went on trips, bachelor parties, something like that. But I decided to join the local golf club here and I committed to joining one because it was actually very affordable. And two, because I knew that the commitment to joining the club and prepaying for it would necessitate me feeling obligated to go out and use the membership because I was already paying for it. So last summer, into the fall, and then this spring, I've spent most of the weekday afternoons after I get done with eight, nine hours worth of work, I'll go out and I'll golf for a couple hours, just a quick nine holes. It's meditative, I can get lost in my thought. I usually walk about three miles, And it allows me to be in nature and focus on mastering this individual skill, something that I can get better at. There's a tight feedback loop, and I love that about golf. So this past weekend, I was out with a friend, and we were walking and talking while playing golf. And we both have families. We both own businesses. He owns a gym on the island. And we got to talking about how much we love spending time with our family on vacation. Now, Katie and I are planning a road trip with our kids, through Bend, Oregon. And that's, that's our last stop before we come home. We're going down to Disney. Yes, the kids know already, and we're gonna spend a couple weeks on the road, and the last stop that we have is Bend. Now, I knew that my buddy had been there before on spring break recently with his family, who had, and he, they have kids that are not too far off from, from the ages of our kids, and so I ask him, what, what do I do? What kind of activities, what kind of places do we stay? You know, what kind of restaurants do we go to? I ask him, like, do we go, do we go rafting? He said, nah, pass. Do we go golfing? Of course. What about the shark? It's a it's a pool for the homeowners. If you rent a house, you can get into this pool with slides. He's like, man, it's a game changer. Your kids are going to love it. I asked him about this river float. We want to do some stand-up paddle boarding or maybe canoeing. And he's like, boom, do it, please. It's the best time that you'll spend there. But he also told me some things not to do. Some things that I had on my list that I had collected while doing research online by reading through blogs and, and travel articles. And it was easy within probably three minutes walking between a shot or two, my buddy was able to tell me what to spend my time and money on and what not to spend my time and money on. And as I sat down today to run this outline for this particular episode of the podcast, it reminded me about how referrals and word of mouth work, not just for the travel businesses, but also for the wedding business, any business really. Because weddings are really important to get word of mouth referrals because there's so much risk that's involved in choosing the right vendors. You don't get a do over just like travel. You don't get to go back and experience it for the first time or you don't get those two weeks back or two nights back. But also in weddings, they're the first time buyers. They've never done this before. They don't know how it works. And so they're looking for somebody to pave the path in front of them. There's also boatloads of money on the line. And there's a plethora of options. Now, if you didn't know, and I found this out, I think after watching the three amigos, if I go way back to like 1987 when I was nine, and I remember hearing the word plethora because they they make fun of it in the movie. But plethora actually means too many options in this case. And that's what people who are getting married face is a plethora, too many options. It is scary to make a decision. And there's a lot of noise that you got to cut through when you're making those choices. And here's the thing that's amazing about referrals and why they are so popular, especially now when when everybody's getting hit with thousands of marketing messages every day, is that referrals cut through the noise. Referrals cut through the noise. And not just from vendors, referral from vendors, because it's good to get recommendations for potential clients from venues and planners if possible. If you are a vendor in the wedding industry, it is amazing to get a referral from a venue, from a planner. Even other vendors in your category. I know this is really popular, especially with you know, photographers or, or videographers, people who are only available uh, you know, one time every day. And so they can't do more than one event, so they, they, they oftentimes you know, refer business to each other. But here's the thing about referrals from other vendors, planners, venues, or, or whomever, is that it's like the algorithm in social media, And maybe you've heard about this. The difference between social media and your website is that you own your website. That's an owned asset. You own your newsletter as well. We have 5,000 plus subscribers on our newsletter. And so that's something that we have more control over. The algorithm for social media, that's for Zuckerberg and all of the other executives to run how they seem fit. And so how are referrals like your owned assets or your borrowed assets? Well, when you get a referral from somebody else that's outside of your control, it's really challenging to be able to count on them. And anybody who's seen a planner move or a venue manager move away and a new one comes in, and you don't have that relationship with them anymore, you know how whimsical those relationships can be. And the thing about your past and current clients as compared with vendors, is that you are much more in control of a number of different things that are involved in the referral relationship. So when we talk about referrals, I love the idea of using planners and and venues and other vendors in your category, but know that past and current clients are much better. They're like an owned asset. They're more in control. You are more in, in, in control of whether or not you get the referrals from them. And some of that has to do with the fact that you get direct access to them to communicate the messages and, and you can share with them so that they're able to pass along the information that you really want to. They're not going to interpret or try and repackage it in a different way. They don't have any ulterior motives or or any other types of uh, you know direction that they're trying to take. Uh, but also, and this is really important, is that you have more of them to use. There are more people who have gone through your doors, through your place of business over the years, especially if you've been in business for a long time. It could be hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of past clients that you get a pull on. So you've got not only direct access to them, but you've also got many, many more of them. And the most important thing, let's be real is that they are actual clients. They have tasted, they have tried, they have been through the experience of what it's like to be one of your clients. And that's ultimately the strongest, most throaty endorsement that you can get. And the one that's most important and carries the most authenticity for somebody who's getting the referral is that you actually bought the services and now you're recommending to them because you loved it so much. In addition, when you get a referral from a friend or a family member, it's not perceived as a business transaction, okay? When you get a referral from a venue or from a planner, you don't really know why they're referring. Of course, they, they want you to pick somebody who's good, but there could be some ulterior motives that you're not aware of. Now, if you get it from a family member or a friend, there's no other upside than the gratitude that the person who is offering the recommendation is gonna receive. It's really an altruistic gesture. If you go through and you think about all the different sources of business that you have, when you look at your inquiries, where do they come from? You will find that out of things like SEO or social media or being on a venue list or a planner's referral list, uh, you know, any, anything else that's out there, the not listing, wedding wire, you know, Pinterest, whatever it may be, that you will get the highest conversion rates from past and current clients who refer you to their friends or family. Okay, These are the highest conversion rates of any source of business. Now, if you go through and you do, I don't know, let's just say you do 20 weddings a year and 100 people attend each wedding, that's 2,000 potential clients who are in the room trying out, experiencing what you do, whether you're a DJ or a stationer or a band or a floral designer or a planner, a photographer, videographer, whatever it is that you do, you have... All of these hundreds, thousands of potential clients that are trying out your services and could be completely knocked over and wowed by it. What better barking opportunity do you have? I promise you, there is none. Unfortunately, most wedding pros don't tap into your current client base nearly enough. Ask yourself and answer honestly. What are you doing right now to leverage more business from your past and your current clients? What are you doing? Now, I'm going to bring you this analogy that I read about first on HubSpot. I love it. It's called the flywheel, and this is compared to the funnel. Now, a traditional sales funnel is something that requires more and more input at the top. You have to feed inquiries into it, and eventually you might get a very, very small percentage to make it down to the bottom. It requires lots of energy, lots of effort, and there's a ton of waste that's involved with the funnel approach. And... What I'd like you to do is to take a look at your business as more of a flywheel. Now, a flywheel is like one of those ergonomic wheels that you pull on like a rowing machine or maybe if you're on Peloton. And unless you apply resistance, it takes just a little bit of energy to get it going and keep it going. And once it does, it doesn't take a lot to get you where you want to go. So funnel versus flywheel. The question is, what can you do with your business to keep the inertia going, to keep the flywheel going with your current and past clients so that they rave about you to all their family and friends? How can you get them to do the work of selling your business, the flywheel, rather than continuing to try to attract new people to get to the top of your funnel through listings and SEO and blogging and referrals that come from outside of your client ecosystem? So here are five things that you can do today to make it easy for your past and current clients to refer you. I'm going to give you two that can be done before the wedding starts and three that can be done after the wedding is over. All right, here's tactic number one. Get client feedback immediately after you book them. And what I mean by this is that you are going to send out a request for feedback asking very specific questions about what went through their head when they were booking you so that you can get that information. And here's the reason why it's going to help you with referrals, because you need to make sure that they know why they booked you and can communicate that to other people. And so what you're doing by asking the question is you're getting them to do what's called a post rationalization. Now, we all know that. Most of the wedding decisions are made with the emotional parts of the brain, the system one, you know, non-conscious way of making decisions. And so what we need to do after somebody has made a decision is we need them to be able to articulate why it is they did it. And and sometimes they don't even know. So by asking them a question to look back and in hindsight, evaluate why they made the choice, we're creating what's called a post-rationalization for their decision. And this will help solidify the reasons that they loved you when they were looking at all the other vendors. And ultimately you're going to imprint it into their memory when they write it down or type it. And the byproduct obviously for you is that you get excellent feedback in addition to that when it's fresh in their mind and that helps you make micro adjustments to your own sales process. So you're helping them understand why they booked you. You're creating uh, a way for them to articulate and share that easily with family and friends. You're imprinting it in their memory. And then the byproduct is that you're getting feedback to make improvements. So, Second way before the wedding that you can get people to refer you more that is to give amazing gifts Now, I know that there are a lot of gifts out there You can get these, you know gifts in a box that are prepaid services You can send them, you know a bottle of wine or something like that Yeah, you can do that. That's better than nothing But ultimately what you're looking for is how can you create a gifting program that is thoughtful and personalized is unique and one-of-a-kind, and also is very timely with the booking. And and we want to do this, yes, right after somebody books, but we also want to do it when it's going to be a surprise. It could be some point between when they book your services and the wedding date. Surprises are amazing. They, They can create exponential impact when somebody gets a gift. Now, I will tell you that two things that are really important that a lot of people don't consider when they're looking at gifts. Number one, get a gift that is reusable, and number two, get a gift that is shareable. So one of the best gifts that I've ever seen was given to Katie. When I first met her, she was using this coffee frother. It was this like 6 $7 Ikea coffee frother. You just drop it in and it like whips it around. Something that you would use in like a science experiment. But here's the thing. She used it every single day for 5 years. Now, if you're thinking about getting somebody a gift of coffee, don't get them a Starbucks or, or a gift card to a local coffee shop. That'll run out after three, five, ten cups of coffee. This coffee frother, it got used thousands of times. Thousands of times. And it was dirt cheap. All right. Number two is a shareable. When I worked at, at Roche Harbor, and I was at the front desk. We used to play a game with our team when we had VIPs come in and we're spending thousands and thousands of dollars with us. I would give the team two, three, four hundred $400 to go over to the gift shop and the grocery store and put together gift baskets that were so amazing that people would take pictures of them, tag our property and post them on Instagram. And that was a game we played. How can we get such a great gift that they want to share it with their family and friends and tag us as the person who gave it to them? So do yourself a favor. Do not wait until after the wedding to wow them. When you are thinking about gifting, do it while they're being asked about their wedding. The one thing that everybody's talking about when somebody is engaged is the upcoming wedding. So give them a gift that's thoughtful and unique and reusable and something that makes it easy for them to share. All right, let's talk about what happens after the wedding now. Here's a great way for you to make it super simple to provide that really cool shareable experience, and that is to give your client sneak peeks. And this goes for everybody, not just photographers. You are at the event or you created something for the event, share eight to 10 images that you took, tag the couple, post them on Instagram stories. Highlight people, not just things. If you make cakes or if you make floral arrangements, make sure that you're highlighting the people and the things that they they have that they do at the wedding. We want to make sure that they can share it with their audience. This is super timely because it creates a, an opportunity for them to relive the night again, which is great. And it creates FOMO for the people who didn't get invited that are still in their social circle. So it's really easy to share these eight to 10 sneak peeks right after the wedding. All right. Fourth thing that you can do is make it easy for them to share their, their real wedding blog posts that you create. Now, yes, yes, Real wedding blog posts are great for SEO, but they're even better for your clients to share with the people who attended the wedding and the people who couldn't make it. So get permission from the photographer, if you're not the photographer, to reuse the images. Shouldn't be a problem as long as you paint the photographer as a promotion for them and their services. And and get out there and tell a story about the wedding day. I'm not gonna get into the details of that here because we did talk about it in episode 11, And you can go through and listen to that episode where Katie and I talk about what hooks the reader and how you can keep their interest and develop some sort of positive outcome that you help create. When you're done creating this real wedding blog post and you post it up on your website, send a direct link to the couple and then ask or at least suggest that they share it with the people who attended the wedding or who were invited but could not attend. And then, of course, post it on your social media, tag your clients, and make it easy for them to share. Last tip to get more referrals from your past and current clients. And this is a really great one. And this is perfect if you miss the window in these other four areas to try and get referrals and leverage the connections that you have with your past clients and current clients because you can't go back in time. But you can start here. You can do this one thing. Take them out for a cup of coffee or a lunch, especially now that the pandemic is over. And what you do is you just hang out with them for 30, 60, 90 minutes, whatever it is. And just talk with them about what it was like for them to plan their wedding. Celebrate them. Celebrate the process that you helped guide them through. And while you're doing this, you're going to get insights into their mindset, into their perspective, which is great for your long-term marketing strategy, but you're also going to get them to relive the experience. And and in doing so, you do one of three things that's really important for any referral strategy. And that is that you become top of mind and therefore tip of tongue. Okay? Top of mind, tip of tongue. That's the hallmark of any good referral strategy. That's what you do when you do these one-on-one interviews. But any other referral strategy and all five of these tactics, they do two other things. They, they create messages and talking points about what you want to be known for. All right. That's really important when you're creating any kind of referral strategy. You have to guide the things that people are going to say about you. All right. And then the third thing, in addition to top of mind, tip of, tip of tongue, and creating talking points and messages that you want to be known for, is that you want to make it easy and even desirable to share with friends and family. All right? Make it easy and desirable to share with their friends and family. If you want help with the personalized referral program, reach out to me, Sam IDActionConsulting.com or hit me up in the DMs and Instagram. I am right now the one who responds to everything. We can build on and refine a strategy with tactics that work for you in a quick 90-minute session. Now, remember, vendor referrals are like social media. It's not an asset you own. You're subject to the whims and interests of planners and venues, and those change quickly. Plus, it's really crowded out there right now with wedding pros trying to play the same game as you to get on referral lists. So instead, go with the people who are the most qualified to share their own positive experiences with people in their social circle, family and friends. And those people are your past and current clients. Boom. That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through.